Jordan Peterson has been going through a rough time as of late. Now, when I discovered him in 2017, he was a huge influence on my life. It felt like I got caught up in a Western revival movement. And Jordan Peterson was the champion messiah leading millions of us towards the light. But now it feels like that energy has died out and it seems like Jordan Peterson has buckled to the pressure. And though I'm not here to throw him under the bus, I quite like him still. I have come to see, through working with people who have been falsely prescribed benzos, his exact problem, I've come to see that the thing that he was fighting for, the West, has lost its way far more and for far longer than he had me believe. You see, Jordan is a man of his age. Now, our age is very much a pro-drug, pharmaceutical age. And I want to show, with respect, how Jordan's philosophy left him exposed to this age. Now, Nietzsche famously said to look to the man to see the philosophy. You see, Jordan was a good man who was tyrannized with chronic depression as he tried to meet the demands of ordered society and deal with the chaos of his nature. He had to believe that there was a middle path that he could take which would allow him to be normal. And this looked like order on one side and chaos on the other, and the divine logos mediates between the two as consciousness bringing them to a reasonable conclusion. Very centrist indeed, you tell your bad moves that they're just gonna have to cope with a 60 hour work week. Now, the germ of this idea can be found in Maps of Meaning, his very first lecture series. He discusses how right-wing tyranny is representative of excessive order, left-wing tyranny is representative of excessive chaos, and the West got it right by floating in the middle as the conscious, updating paradigm of the world, the self-regulating paradigm of the individual. Now I'm just not seeing patterns and colors where I want to see them. You see this in almost all his behavior. For example, that famous Brett Kavanaugh incident that everybody got really, really mad at him for. Was him doing the exact same thing, choosing the mediating middle. Trying to act as the mediator, the conscious mediator between the, the right and the left, as he'd often say, the political divide. Now, how this applies to psychology is his basic thesis that when you fall down into the darkness, into the underworld, the Great West, the Granddaddy Dumbledore who rules over Hogwarts, will offer you two things with each of his hands. One is the magical Jungian alchemical psychology and redeem yourself through the hero's journey, and the other will be the pharmacology. And these two angles coming from Dumbledore and Hogwarts, the West, is what will save you. Thus, you should fight for the West. Think of the time he chose to take these benzos. He was out there defending the West against the, the dark forces of Voldemort and his minions. He was taking on the radical left, as he'd say. And of course, the West is a place of potions as much as it is about magic spells. And he was in trouble. He had a problem with his poor wife, and he was a sickly man. He's always been that way. And so he put his faith in the West. He turned to a magician of the West, a medicine man of the West, and they gave him these benzos. But at this moment of peak crisis, him the champion out on the battlefield, his team let him down. Just when he needed the West to prove itself, it failed him. 
The benzos weren't a potion, they were a poison. This is not a trivial thing. This is a unbelievably big mistake of the Western paradigm. These benzos are one of the most prescribed drugs in the world. And why? It's an anxiety drug, and everybody has anxiety nowadays. And why do we have anxiety? Because there's too much electricity firing through our brains that's making us on edge. And so the idea with benzos is that it dampens your brain, it makes your brain get lazy. And of course that's all well and good until you come off them. Because your brain stays lazy. And this is why you're only supposed to be on benzos for a couple of weeks. Yet I've been speaking to people who've been put on this by their psychiatrist for a decade. And then they're tortured by seizures when they come off it. And then they're told by their psychiatrist that they're just going to have to accept that they're broken. Do you understand? This is why Jordan looked like he was on the verge of crying the whole way through the Rex interview. Because his neurons had been fried by this blunderous prescription to him. And it becomes such a shocking thing when you think about it. This is a good man with a good heart who puts his whole faith on the West, on his society. He wants to stand up for it. He wants to protect it. He believes he's doing the good thing. He's got good will and it screws him. And to crudely condemn him by his own words, well, if I'm to put the responsibility on him for this, I would say that he made a mistake understanding what the West is. Now, let me put it this way. What if the West is not ruled by Dumbledore, but in fact has long been taken over by Snape, and Snape has turned the West into a one-sided drug company? And this is so manifestly obvious when you look at the way we Westerners manage our moods. Right now, I'm wired out of my mind on coffee. On the weekend, I'll be smashed out of my mind on alcohol. If I go to school and I get jittery at all, what's going to happen is I'm going to get prescribed Adderall to help me pay attention to the nonsense up on the board. And it's not like adulthood turns you into a pious member of society. I remember talking to my parents. They said they almost never heard or saw drugs, maybe the odd uh, bit of marijuana. But nowadays, everywhere you go, there will be cocaine at all the parties. There will be spliffs getting passed around. There will be MDMA, people dabbing in the corners, running off to the bathrooms with the big, black, dilated pupils. It is an ever-present part of reality now. And we love it. We love Snape. We love the brave new world he has created. We love that we're these alchemical magicians where we're able to change our mood at will with these sprinkles of powders or these little pills and tablets. And this is what we sell to non-Westerners. This is what we say to all those other people. The party's over here. You come over here, you'll feel good. You'll get all the good chemicals. You'll always be in a good mood. This is sounding like I've been embodied by the spirit of Terence McKenna, but believe me, there is something to this idea. See, when we get filled with anxiety, we don't think, oh my god, there must be an existential cause to this. No, instead, we think, oh my god, I'm filled with bad chemicals. Where are some good chemicals? God bless Jordan, God bless his war, but, um, but the thing he was defending is literally a drug company. Us moderns, we don't have any connection with the Logos or consciousness. There's no, there's no shamanism to the way we deal with these moods. The only shamanism is the part of the procedure where you're guzzling down ayahuasca and getting tripped out of your mind. But there's no natural connection to your ability to evoke moods out of yourself. We are passive nowadays. We don't bring energy out of ourselves anymore. We 
only take in chemicals that stimulate energy inside of us. We are, we are spiritual NPCs, if you will. And I know it's not fun, I know people don't like hesitating, I know people don't like doubting the most dominant paradigm, but I ask you to indulge in a dance with me and contemplate this, this rigmarole of chemicals and big zap dominating it at all. What does this say about us? What does it say about who we are and where we are going? I bring up shamanism because that's so important. It's how you manage your moods in the jungle. And then in Christian society, you know, the church was the big institution where you would go in and change your mood. It was the big zap. It was the big chemical. You'd go into that place and it would take you from your depressed state and try to encourage you to find Jesus and change your state. But of course, now all our magical churches, they are populated by people in uniforms and lab coats. They're to inspect you to make sure that if you have any exceptional or abnormal mood they can dose you with big chemicals and restrain you with the riot gear. And of course the one person that Jordan was so mad at may just be the shadow of this, may just be have a secret answer to this, the, the naughty nasty Foucault. You see Foucault was a great critic of the West, a bloody postmodernist neo-Marxist. And he spotted something that could only be described as the tyranny of the normal. You see, in our lovely capitalist West, what the game needs you to be is someone who's in a generally amiable mood all the time. That, that you're able to go to work consistently for 40 hours a week without having some schizophrenic break and then are able to shop for maybe an hour or two afterwards. And that's what gets the whole thing running, is the fact that you show up and you, you give your battery life over to this capitalist corporation and then they can in turn sell shit back to you. And that's the, the whole rigmarole runs on this. And so the most important emotional state for you, the most useful way to have you feeling is amiable and happy and content, or in better words, normal. Now, the human experience is marked by abnormal emotions. Everything magic about your life comes from profound, crazy experiences. Sex is quite a profound, crazy experience. It's not something you normally do on the middle of the street or something like that. And anger is the same thing, and, and passion, and contemplation about the profoundness, and of course the unbelievable mystery of death. These are abnormal experiences, but I guarantee you're going to remember your brushes with death a lot more than every single hour you spend in the office. And you notice that depression, people's bone-crunching Wojak, pink Wojak face uh, experiences of life, all comes from the grind of being the wagey, of being stuck in this loop, this meaningless digit inside this super machine. These emotions that animate you, your anima, if you will, are crushed, are neutered in favor of this concept of being normal. Have you ever noticed that? That your salvation is always proposed to be something that will help you be normal. That will help you turn off those energies, those animating forces that torture you. Now, I don't want to leave you in despair.
One door the Jordan opens that I want to explore is that idea, that nugget of a notion that you can evoke out of yourself bigger moods. You can excite yourself. You can dig into your own psychology and redeem yourself from a bad mood. Such a simple idea, such a simple act of shamanism is what we cannot do anymore and what we have replaced with drugs. Now, you could call this emotional mastery magic. And this is what you're supposed to be thought in Hogwarts, the institutions of the West. So let's discuss why these institutions fail us. Boyos and Gurlarinos, welcome to Hogwarts. So delighted to meet you here. I think we have a lot to discuss, especially about the fundamental ideas of why, why you were chosen, why have you been brought here. And I guess the strangest thing is when, you know, when the, the, the Boyo riot squad, when they uh, point, they kicked in your door and said, yo, you're a wizard. <laughs> you're a wizard, Boyo. You're a, you're a witch, Gurlarino. I guess, I guess when that happens, you're probably a little bit confused. You're like, what is a wizard what 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 is this stuff why do these guys keep sending me like uh, letters like why can't they use emails why do these keep, people keep on telling me like I'm, I'm a magic wizard that's the weirdest thing of all well you understand that wizardry magic powers divinity it's all premised on the idea of, of magic and so i guess you've probably assuming you've got you, i assume you've got this genius in you you're already asking yourself well, what is magic what is the nature what is the meaning of magic what what means magic and of course magic is all about juice it's all about the boyo juice the the energy within you know it's that thing that pours out of you when you scribble down a beautiful and profound story. It's that thing that moves inside of you to make you feel angry, to make you feel upset. You can think about the fact that all of us are possessed or filled with these these vibrant energies, these these emotions as we call them, or these animating energies that we call them, and they they make us like they make us dribble and they make us get mad at people and they make us feel happy and they make us feel bliss when uh, we are in romantic experiences and whatnot. This this energy, this fundamental energy, this magic is is very very special because on the one hand it moves you towards something like lust in its most basic sense. It it drives you towards trying to get a a a a, a fellow partner, a uh, a partner in crime, and um, the the desire in there is driving you towards a very very specific aim. But likewise, it's also inside of you in higher, you can say the higher chakras if you want. It's also inside of you in a sort of intellectual way. You want to, you know, achieve this sort of, the, 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 the great work. The art, if you've got that artist instinct inside of you, you want to craft something beautiful just for the sake of it being beautiful. It's a very, very interesting thing. And, and this magic is, is very, very special because it, it's the type of thing that drives people to not only create life, but also create things like, you know, principled action or great art or, or even great projects and great conquests as well and whatnot and so this magic is very very important Jung and Freud they would have often termed magic as libido because they had their own lexicon of words that they used to describe this when they were passing through Hogwarts the 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 status quo the paradigm is slightly different Freud sort of originated this from the idea that well like libido drives everything and and your magic nut is obviously the thing that's pushing you towards mating 
and it causes all these problems in your psychology because you desperately want that but if you like a, a good Christian or an ancient Catholic could uh, castrate yourself sort of make yourself celibate and, and, and control the, the, the will to nut and allow it to, to shoot up the chakras and become something more profound you can actually achieve great things such as build a gorgeous cathedral or build a build, build a, a magical a magical piece of art or something like that or build a great document or, or see things more clearly you know he called this sublimation now the 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 problem with this is that he got so into this that he actually told his wife that he's never going to nut inside her again and at age 40 he went celibate for life which is hardcore so that's a man really committed to his ideas but we're not here we're not here to talk to you about where you should be sticking your magic wand and all that type of stuff that is far too crude this is a this is a a show for 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 uh, um, upright civilized boyos and girlerinos so what we're going to talk about is is what this libido what this magic is what this energy is and how it damaged someone like Jordan Peterson how it how it how he, he had these brilliant theories and how to master it and what genuinely mastering it means getting a grip of the energy inside of you basically your emotions and how the West has drifted so far from that so you've got to think about this libido in a very very simple way I've talked about this before but I will say it again since we're in recap mode the universe was like this you know this this uh, this computer game this Minecraft game that God made but nobody was moving in it everyone was just sort of, sort of you know he made all the bricks and they're all like frozen in space and they're not doing anything and he was he was kind of he was like huh, this is kind of shit <laughs> there's nothing happening here at all and so he went down and he injected logos into it he, he injected life into it he injected breath into it remember when the greeks talked about logos they they talked it as the moving fire they didn't turn it into some type of abstract left brain thing it was a moving fire and an energy thing and so he he plugged the universe in he basically stuck it into the wall he he, he went into minecraft and he like breathed life into these first dudes and they got up and they started to to, to to vibrate and dribble and then they started to run around and do stuff and he was like oh this is class now it's a game now it's fun you know this type of thing and so that's basically what happened to you you think about you your life you're the animated part of the world everything else in the world seems to be kind of sitting there still chilled out not up to much kind of just like hanging around but you you're the little like buzzy bee that's running around you know doing stuff going around uh shall we say splurging your your your, your libido in places you should not place it and this is fundamentally a testament to the fact that you are special you are alive you have something going for you there's something in you that matters and this is your your magic your energy your your boyo juice or your libido it's all that it's that that vibrant energy that's surging through you and so the universe has been running off this for a long long time it's the thing that's moving it it's moving it somewhere and your challenge which is so interesting is that basically what happens with life and Jung noticed this in the Greek concept of ion basically we all get an ion which means an era where it's almost like a, a, a mana bar or a magic bar in a video game a life bar in a video game a libido bar if you want and and this is basically our time on earth and we, we burn it out and it's not necessarily like a set time but it's almost like energy so if you live hard and die young well that's because you've burned through all your, your ion burned through all your juice too quickly and whatnot and so the challenge for us is that this juice this will inside of us has some very very basic functions it's it's god's way of making the universe do stuff that is good because god's a good god's a big good g he, he knows what he's up to so he he wants you to go do cool things now of course this libido is it fires through you it sets you going it's the most basic way is it wants you to get to the next generation it wants you to create a baby babies are good and so you think about what happens here you get this injection of this magic this libido and it 
it pushes you towards an irrational ritual, something you don't consciously understand at all. You, you might think of it as an unconscious drive, if you want. If you want to use the jargon, yes, that's what it is. And this irrational ritual is the romantic act of sex, of procreation. Now, this is quite an interesting one because it can be quite a crude act, if you will. It can it can happen in the in the alleyway behind the behind the the, the Tesco or something like that, and it can be very 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 sloppy and maybe a little bit uh maybe something you you wouldn't be proud of yourself on reflection. But it can also be immensely beautiful and immensely well crafted and romantic and and profound. It can be one of the most defining experiences of your life. But nonetheless, the the experience itself is always pushed towards by this energy. This magic inside you it wants you to do this it wants you to create more life and it's pushing you against like you don't have a choice in this you're going going to get pushed towards this and you need to sort this out like some people who get taken over by this this libidinous desire for these type of rituals might uh, end up end up being too casual with it and become depressed because they can't form bonding with people then some people might become monogamous and that's often widely considered to be an intelligent um, way to manage this type of instinct but then some other people might be might might, might turn against it completely and become celibate priests like the Catholics were. And these are all very, very interesting strategies to deal with this problem. And it, there's no one answer to it, you know? Like some people might be more suited to others for all we know. A little bit postmodernist, but who who cares? We're here with Foucault. We've, 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 ripped, all the, we've ripped all the plasters off at this point. Like it's, it's happening, man. It's happening. And so basically the, the fundamental thesis that I'm sh shoving onto your lap here is the idea that this, this energy, this, this magical energy, this libido is trying to move you to do stuff. Now, this means that this energy, you think of it like the literal electricity God plugged into the universe that's moving through your body is, is, is like magic energy, you know, it, it makes stuff happen. You know, it makes it makes life happen. So that's not trivial at all. It's this this amazing power. Now, it doesn't just stop at your pelvis like it actually goes up into other things your heart is beats by this energy your heart think about your heart you're such a dickhead you never think about your heart you're, ne you're never nice to your heart your heart beats for you your entire life without stopping once and you prick run around and you you uh, i don't know you 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 say mean things to it and you're not gracious enough and and all these terrible things you're a, you're a mean man and this is basically the most treasured and amazing part of yourself there's more electricity in your heart than there is in your head you know your heart runs for you it keeps you alive it, it is your most dedicated loving follower it loves you more than anything it wants you to keep going and it just it will do its work regardless and you abuse it like a prick so this is this is something to keep in mind that this animating energy it's very very special it can do amazing things it animates you it keeps it gives you life gives you all those profound feelings you feel in your your soul and your heart and then it also goes into your your mind in a more profound sense and it can give you for example, dreams. Think about what dreams are. Dreams, even the neuroscience shows the dreams sort of seem to weirdly kind of rush from up underneath our brain and above our brain as well. It's a weird, weird thing, but it seems like there's electricity moving through our brain that creates dreams. The electricity goes to certain parts of our head, like the Hollywood at the back, and generates lots of images that create the dream. So dreams are almost like this libido doing some type of job of some sort. And it's very, very profound and creative. It's very, very special. And it's, it's, it's a lot more sophisticated and complex than simply the romantic desire for love. And th these are all very, very interesting things. Now, if you can take that, that energy and produce it as a, a, like really well put together words, you can you know, move a big crowd of people. And that gives you this profound power. You know, it gives you this amazing power. If you can write a brilliant story like J.K. Rowling did, you can get extremely wealthy. 
you channel that that dream like that libidinous energy through the the higher faculties of your your higher chakras you can achieve great things and so all of us on some level there's plenty of muggles out there believe me but all of us on some level have this magic within us you know we have we've flickerings of this magic now some people have it more than others that is absolutely true now what you've got to think about is that the society <laughs> I, mean, I wish <laughs> I wish I had a cigarette here so I could make like some broad sweeping statements but society is in essence just a load of people full of juice and they don't know what to do with it and the great challenge of what we could call the institutionalized west the the big the big machines the big castles the big schools the hospitals the the mental health systems the prisons the all that type of stuff the church before all that stuff is like a giant machine a giant method a giant institution towards managing people's juice helping people use their juice in a favorable way if you don't help people with their juice sometimes they end up splurging it in a, in a negative way they 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 end up hurting themselves the juice either forms in their inside of themselves like emotions and it might be like depression you know maybe maybe this libido is demanding that you create some great art some magic dream that you can share with people but of course because you don't have access to the part of that you, that part of your mind because you went through a school system that told you that that doesn't exist and you should just digest crappy crappy ideas you it's almost like it, the, the libido is like trapped it's not able to get through that portal and get into the dream mind and you're not letting it do its final thing which is to get out think about what these these rituals want think about the the, the lust the energy of lust fundamentally wants to get out into someone else that's what it's all about and this is the same thing with stuff like dreams you know it wants to it builds up tension inside of you so that you release that tension and maybe you've been chosen maybe you've got so much magic in you that you need to write a great story but of course you build up with all that tension but because you have had that restricted from you you get sad you get anxious you don't feel you feel there's something wrong you feel you're not in your purpose you're stuck in the amazon fulfillment center and there's all these like uh, lcd screens of jeff bezos and uh, ball jeff bezos just laughing at you being like oh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> your your libido is now mine my libido <laughs> And so, so the purpose, the, the, the function of Hogwarts, the West, the institutionalized West, all these machines we built up around us is to, to try manage people, to try dig into people and find people and find how much magic they have and find appropriate where we're going to place this magic. Some people won't have this brilliant skill where they can just inject massive super dreams into the world other people will and what the 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 design the purpose of the west is to, to our best of ability help people develop this you know young might call it individuation help get that those big powerful energies and help get them into the the most profound chakra of all and produce things of immense value like great movies brilliant philosophical theses interesting technologies magical medicine all this stuff that makes life better and easier and, and, and more powerful to, to experience. And so the job of this big machine is to try to figure out how to do this. Now, of course, we have an awful problem. You had Jordan Peterson coming along telling us that there's, 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 he was saying all is not right in the state of Denmark. There's something wrong in the West. There's, there's something going wrong. There's th things are not as good as they look because you see this giant machine, think about what it is. It's a giant machine that all these, these muggles come in and they get processed. And the, the thesis is that we turn them, we turn as many of them as possible into wizards. But of course that, 
big machine with all that potential to 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 extract the most amount of juice out of people and and lift it up into its most divine sense is also quite prone towards getting taken from us you know think of jeff bezos creates his big machine and all he absorbs all of our magic into his own will and now he's like a a hundred hundred billionaire or something like that like he's probably gonna be a trillionaire at some point and and you see what's going on there his magic machine he consumes all the energy off these people he consumes all the libido the magic towards himself he's he's like this all-powerful dude who can who can now build rockets that will lift him into space and power to him you know fair play to him he pulled that one off but it is an interesting problem now the Amazon is one thing, but the, the, the network of universities and schools and hospitals and mental health clinics and psychotherapy clinics and churches, all those institutions together as a sort of one thing, decentralized out among the society, but generally all in the same bubble. The, 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 the masters of the mind, you know, these, that's an unbelievably significant portion of reality of mind crafting if you will like they th- that is an incredible amount of of people that churn through these institutions and this giant machine programs all these people how to deal with their magic deal with their juice now what happens is that it's big institutions like kings big institutions are not always led well People don't always use big institutions properly. They don't do a good job. Now, it's not like there's one king who's sitting there who's like mastering the Hogwarts and all that, but there's most certainly this sort of prescient ideologies that that, that float into these things, if you know what I mean. And I'm not suggesting even something so political, but more something like a paradigm, an emotional general mood, if you know what I mean. The... Um, common discussion is the idea of materialism you know this is something that's not it's not been political at all it's been something that's been here for nearly 200 years it's it's very much looming over the spirit of all these things now materialism is a very very problematic perspective why is this because it basically says that you are not magic you were just stone like everything else. You're just a muggle and you'll never be a wizard because there's nothing in you that would make you a wizard because you're inanimate, because God is dead, because God didn't plug the universe in with juice, because God doesn't exist. The universe is just a machine like Hogwarts that's just ticking like a clock, going nowhere with no purpose and no place. And all you can do is just participate in that machine because you have no purpose, no place either. Now, this is quite an interesting problem because this this has an, an immense effect on people's minds, but maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. What we notice then is that Hogwarts itself, this machine, when it gets possessed by this 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 idea, this this idea that we are not animate, we are flat, dead material, we are not alive, we are not kicking with life at all. There is no heartbeat in us. We are just you know we're just rational machines that that are are kind of running like a like a computer program. This opens up this kind of demoralizes hogwarts hogwarts loses its magic hogwarts can no longer look at the people coming through it with this idea of what with the job that it should do which is to bring magic out of people it doesn't believe in that anymore this is why you see with hogwarts what happens is 
all these kids come in and there's no idea of like, all right, I want you to dig inside your mind during this English class and I want you to bring out of yourself your own original opinion and I want you to like reach into that part of your mind that produces dreams and bring this out. Like it's some type of artistic class and we, we want to craft that power that vibrates out of you, that, that vivid emotional power that you're, you're what you believe in and all that. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. What happens is we 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 sit these kids down and we say that that animating part of you that's 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 ADHD that's a problem you're coming at us like a, a little wizard and we actually need to turn you into a cog a muggle that can fit into the machine you know this is what's going on so that that exceptional part of yourself that weird dreamy animate part of yourself that's actually problematic we actually don't want that right and instead of you bringing something out of you you bring in your magic out of you and and, and 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 injecting it onto the page and we'll try craft it like like a true wizards what i'm going to ask you to do is actually put my ideas inside of you i'm i'm going to program you i'm going to shove information inside of you i'm going to cast the magic spell on you and this magic spell is going to act like a rope around your 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 mind your soul and i'm going to do this and your this is going to make you normal and good and employable so if you could take some time to imagine what this perspective, what this attitude, what this idea, what this way of seeing the world, the, the way of seeing the world is there is no magic, all these people aren't magic, all they are is just mechanical machines that we need to adapt them, that we need to shape them into cogs that fit into the, the bigger machine that has no purpose and has no point, but it's just rolling along as it's going. If you could imagine that way of seeing things as like a, a spirit that's looming over Hogwarts, looming over the Western institutions and, and seeing the world this way, you'd be very very close to perhaps Voldemort perhaps this sort of bad guy and what he he sees going on the way he understands the world and the way he creeps into people's minds and he's always suggesting subtly that it's it's almost like he's as a neurotic perfectionist and he has all these visions in his mind of like this perfect machine that he's ultimately in control it's almost like if you if you will you could take the the left brain side of yourself which is mechanical which is able to put together these these complex abstractions but it's it doesn't have any juice itself the right brain is the thing that supplies it with energy that animates it it's 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 able to take in information and shuffle it around but it's not able to create information for itself it is a it is an organizing machine not a produ producing machine like Jung discovered in the red book and um, you could imagine that if you could almost extrapolate out that left brain, that 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 one-sided way of seeing things, that half-brain solution, that mid-witted attitude, that Reddit tier perspective. If you could take that and abstract it out into some universal archetype or spirit, you know, you would get this sort of Luciferian, satanic, me mechanical weirdo. And what is his favorite thing of all? Of course, what the left brain loves. It's jargon. He loves jargon. Why? Because jargon is the key tool to using magic. You know, jargon is exactly how you use magic well, because jargon is categories that you direct the boyo juice to, that you direct your libido to. 
And think of it this way, right? If I tell you that someone is evil, if I tell you that someone's a serial bad person, an anti-boyo, all of you guys will start vibrating because I've, I've like, you'll, you'll be like, oh my God, there's an anti-boyo out there. And you'll all just like go and you'll buy like swords and stuff and you'll run out and you'll go like cut, cut their legs off and do like terrible things to them. And this is why I'm so responsible that I never say something like that because it'd be awful. But this is this is what the, the power of categories are like. They're, they're horrifically powerful things. Think about what happened in, in something like communist Russia when they were able to categorize the aristocrats as, as horrible people the kulaks as evil people they were able to go in and, and get huge swaths of people to murder them uh, on, on massive extents jargon is a frightening thing and of course good the other side of it is is another powerful thing about jargon because you can like the left one you can slap uh, an ideal on something you could say all right the the type of wizard that we want the type of wizard that we want is this this perfect cog that fits into this massive machine which i've decided is good it's it's a very very interesting problem because then you as an educator as a professor or you as a as a as an up and coming wizard you will get you will get tyrannized by this idea of good this idea of normal this idea of the way to be and if you try to deviate from that, you get framed as the, the anti-good, the evil, and you get bullied and punished and criticized. And this becomes even more serious when we are in a situation where people have big zap and big chemicals, where if you start to act strange, they can prescribe you ADHD, or they can load you up on Adderall, or they can load you up on even more intense drugs like benzos or something like this to, to correct your ungood p patterns you know to to get you back in line with the jargon that we have decided not we but this supreme perspective has decided is right Voldemort is a very very slippery and difficult guy to understand and he looms over Hogwarts and I guess this is sort of this idea with Jordan Peterson he's he's been in such a challenging position I think he was fighting for the West but I think he was tackling Voldemort and I think he might have got a few things wrong, but my God, this doesn't mean just because Jordan Peterson's maybe got a few things wrong and he's not like the, the all father and we can all start laughing at him now. Please understand that Voldemort is still here. Like, let's let's focus on the goal, you know, let's not get caught up in the petty little like bickering pleb mode on Twitter and all this and get all mad at JPP. Focus on the goal. Focus on Voldemort. Voldemort's here to take your juice. Don't let him do it, man. Don't let him do it. Now. Voldemort is quite a strange character because he's, again, he's a disembodied spirit that lives in the astral plane and he comes to you in your dreams and he tries to convince you to be a jargonite. And, and that's a very, very scary, scary thing because he's everywhere and you can't kill him with your hands. You can't, you can't fight him, you know. He's not, he's not like, violence is no power here because he's, a, he's a, a dark magician, you know. But of course, and he's, he's trying to turn everybody into normies. He's trying to turn everybody into NPCs. <laughs> but of course, he is, he's got this am amazing power where he'll slip into someone's mind and he'll convince them. He'll, he'll, he'll worm his way into their mind and he'll convince them that the right brain is evil and to be all left-brained. And then he'll convince them to love the big machine, the big project, the big mechanical project. He'll, he'll say, yeah, yeah, you love that. And he, he'll, he'll turn them into a jargonite. He'll say, this, this jargon that I give you is the way dogmatic about this jargon and you slap it on and then the jargonite like it's like this this golem like experience you know if you get this jargon and wrap it around all these people's necks they they will they will uh th th you will have power you know 
And so this is what 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 this this strange Voldemort does to people, and eventually he he turns people into Jargonites, and then they become they become these these sort of evil characters. You can't. You, it's interesting because they're powerful wizards, and you don't know if you can trust them or not. And and they're 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 people, so they they have a sort of dual allegiance. They're, they're they've got like an angel and devil whispering in the ear. You've got Voldemort and maybe Jordan Peterson or or Dumbledore whispering in the ear, and they're pulled between it. But you often see them drift, and you often see them do terrible things. An example would be our friend Snape, the the master of potions. And he, of course, sees a lot of things like Voldemort. He's been punched in the stomach a lot. He sees how fallen and ugly this world is. He was bullied, you know, when he was younger. And so he thinks that we need to make the world a better place. And he thinks this perfect machine, it makes sense in his head. His left brain loves the the, the, the per- perfect theory in his mind about how things could be. So he's, he's sort of all in with that stuff. He's like, all right, well, this is the way to do it. And when he sees some type of arrogant wizard like Harry Potter thinking he knows stuff, well, he, he's, he's on board with slapping the jargon in him because he sees that that chaos is what causes suffering and so he feels like he's a good dude he feels like he feels like he's doing the right thing and so he becomes a sort of minion of Voldemort perhaps by will perhaps because he's evil or perhaps perhaps by the accident of getting brainwashed by the most powerful dark wizard in the world it's very very hard to know nonetheless he exists and he is everywhere these jargonites float everywhere and they they slap this jargon on you and you show up into class and and they they, these are the people who jargonize you know these are these are the the agent smiths who have been taken over and of course it becomes even more serious because these are the masters of potions and these guys are the ones who are ruling hogwarts right now they have a lot of power right now you know this is a very very dominant perspective this idea that we'll just pour potions down everybody's throat and get them to act more normal this is very much a a a crisis that's going on but it's very much a perspective that is dominant that is popular to give you some examples, and I really want you to take note of how much Foucault looks like Voldemort. I'm not actually implying anything with that at all. I kind of, I kind of grown to like Foucault, but my God, like what the hell? That is the craziest stuff ever. And um, this Foucault was sort of a, a very not normal dude, and he he very much wanted to fight the tyranny of normal. He very much wanted to try expose it, and this is. Um, actually a, a very very he's got a lot of very very interesting perspectives precisely on this idea precisely warning you to not allow the jargon to get wrapped around your throat and and hang you like a noose to be wary of the jargonites and be wary not necessarily of their 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 evilness like snape's not necessarily like the, the master of evil but snape is possessed by some type of disembodied demonic entropic luciferian beast that is uh, swallowing up the 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 the, the juice is is, is persuading everybody to love machines instead of animated juice they're persuading everybody to love minecraft they're like anti-gods you know they're saying that minecraft was perfect when it was still whereas god was saying minecraft was better when it was moving and they're they're all about like making minecraft still again they don't want it to be to move they don't want energy in it at all they're anti they're anti-juicy boils they're they're the worst let's put it that way and and this is all coming from Voldemort's will and then he turns these jargonites into agents of this agenda this secret dangerous agenda and you get good magicians like Jordan Peterson coming out to fight it but of course it's this thing is very powerful and it can smash him from all sides if you're not careful and poor Jordan has taken some wounds but we we must carry on the legacy now you look at someone like Foucault someone that could be seen as a sort of 
he's just a little bit like Snape. You don't know is he is he good or bad, but he's most certainly worth listening to. Snape's not a stupid man. He's very, very much a, a, a valuable man and someone you want on your side. And Foucault says some things that get you on your side, you know. And this is perhaps Jordan's problem. Perhaps he, he, he picked the wrong allies. Perhaps he allied with Snape when he could have allied with Foucault. Who knows? <laughs> Foucault says, if you're not like everybody else, then you are abnormal. If you are abnormal, then you are sick. These three categories, not being like everybody else, not being normal and being sick are in fact very different, but have been reduced to the same thing. He also goes on to say that modern man no longer communicates with the madman. There is no common language, or rather, it no longer exists. The constitution of madness as a mental illness at the end of the 18th century bears witness to a rupture in a dialogue, gives the separation as always enacted, and expels from the memory all those imperfect words of no fixed syntax, spoken falteringly, in which the exchange between madness and reason was carried out. The language of psychiatry, which is a monologue by reason about madness, could only have come into existence in such a silence. So he's talking, he's, he's discussing something very frightening. He's saying that Voldemort seems to have entered reality, entered, taken over Hogwarts around about, the, around about 200, 300 years ago, the 18th century. That's when all this modern conception of what the mind is. This is around about the time that Descartes comes up with this idea of we are rational, functioning, churning machines and everything below the neck is just an automaton and all the animals are inanimate. Even though in their name they say animals, they're just inanimate machines. And it's it's this, this weird disembodied consciousness, this left brainism that makes everything work. It's a very, very interesting and scary idea. And of course, Foucault discusses the reality that, well, you, you want everybody to fix in your little box, your little piece of jargon. You want everybody to be normal, to be a functional, useful cog in this machine, to everybody to sublimate their, their magic towards your will. And this will is some type of still Minecraft machine. So it's just it doesn't even make sense when you think about it. You know, it's, Voldemort's just a bit of a fool. He's just a bit of a, a weirdo more than anything. If you if you think about it, this the, the all these institutions, all these mental conceptions slowly start to drift in on top of society, drift into Hogwarts. Hogwarts became a very, very sick place. And the idea of, you know, Back in the day, you could have this this voice in your head, and that, of course, could have been the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ himself, or these urges inside of you could have been Satan trying to get you. That was all scrapped. And the only way you could be was sort of nice and normal and lukewarm. And any voices coming at you, that was just insanity that you need to go into an asylum so that you can get fixed and then put back into work. And that was a very, very difficult thing for a while because they had crude ways of fixing people. Now they've managed to make it sophisticated enough where it's basically chemicals, you know. But back, like, look up Big Zap. Look up when they used to electroshock people's brains. Look up when they used to chemically castrate gay people. This is probably what Foucault was so afraid of, you know. There is this constant need to put everybody back in the, the magic box that they believed in. Now, this is a very, very interesting, scary problem because, well, there's everything to suggest that the this madness, this other other dream, the, the place where dreams come from, which is not from your normal mind, which is essentially the thesis of schizophrenia, something not normal coming and showing you stuff inside your own head that's not you. This is, as Jung would point out, the 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 
access portal for you to get into the unconscious or the more magical mind. This is literally your doorway, your Narnia doorway to get into the mind of magic, the collective mind if you want, but even in a more simple se sense, the, the, the realm of dreams, the, the, the highest chakra of the libidinous juice as it flows through you. And we create a, with our jargon, Voldemort creates this, this separation. He, he takes that door, that Narnia, and he labels on top of it. He, he writes, he, he runs into your head through your dreams. He runs into your head and he scribbles on that door. Evil, bad, dangerous, insanity, weird, different, not good. And so every time, and then you look look inside your head and maybe maybe something bad has happened, you've got a trauma, or maybe you've got this urge in you, this God-driven urge to animate the world with a brilliant story, and you look over at that door inside your head and you see it vibrating because there's something inside of it, but you're scared of that. And so it turns into this anxiety, this schizophrenia, or maybe this depression where, because you're not letting the animation, animating energies out, you, 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 you fold and you die. All your emotions become impotent and infertile. And you hate yourself. And there's even weird evidence to show stuff like, for example, higher right brain activity in people who are depressed. That's strange stuff. I'm just a boyo, not a professional at all. Don't ignore me. Probably turn off this video before I say something too silly. And um, actually, you know, here's what I think we should do. I, I really like this idea. All right. I think this says everything. Morality pills. OK, to, to illustrate the point, there's a lot of people out there who are being Fucking Egypt, you know, you know, well, you know, all these type of people, these people are going, go, shaking hands, going to house parties. Uh, oh, it's so bad. I think what we should do, they're acting abnormal. So what we should do is go and, oh, Jesus, Bannon showing up. We should go and uh, g g figure out a way to get a chemical solution to this social problem this abnormal behavior is difficult it's it's causing it's it's terrible to be honest and we should find a chemical solution so this particular character says my research in bioethics focuses on questions like how to induce those who are non-cooperative to get on board with doing what is best for the public good to me it seems the problem of coronavirus defectors could be solved by moral enhancement. Like receiving a vaccine to beef up your immune system, people could take a substance to boost their cooperative and pro-social behavior. Could a psychoactive pill be the solution to the pa pandemic? Now, they acknowledge it's controversial, but think about the, the thinking that goes into this. Think about the, the mindset that goes into this. Think about, I, I don't know, perhaps the, 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 the jargon that might go into this is that we've decided that there's a sort of mode of behavior that we need in order to get through this terrible pandemic crisis. It's, and so what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to discourage the, the alternate modes of being, the alternate behaviors. And of course, this is serious because people could die. So what we'll do is we'll use chemicals, we'll use pills, we'll use this, these magic zaps, these, these new, these potions in order to literally stop people from being able to have desires to do different behaviors. We will get them pro-social, we'll get them all on the same plan, we'll fit them into our agenda, we'll put them into our machine. We'll get them working as the cogs that we need. It's a very, very interesting attitude. And it's it's something that bubbles up everywhere. You see it everywhere. You see it all among the Jargonite class. It's very, very strange. Now, this is a discussion about capitalists. Like Foucault opens up an idea about capitalism that I don't want to bore you too much with like philosophical theory, but it's it's known as capitalist realism and it's basically the idea that yeah, capitalism is a really cool idea where you know everybody's free to compete in the market and all that but in practice in practice the machine which is 
capitalist to a large extent and it can deviate between capitalist and communist but does it really matter it's all about this machine and you can slap whatever jargonized ideology on top of it but nonetheless all of these machines just grind your soul into nothing because all of these machines are owned by Voldemort or premised on Voldemort's belief. Voldemort has possessed all the, the rulers of the machine and turned them into jargonites, turn, turned them into snapes. So it doesn't matter if you're under capitalism or communism or anything like that because it's all going to digest you up and turn you into a cog for the machine. There's a lot of depressed people who are capitalists. There was a lot of depressed people in the communist societies, both for the same reason. It's a despiritualized way of being. Whereas, and, and this is a weird thing to think about, but think about back in the medieval guilds Back when, for example, the people in the medieval times, they would join a, a craftsman if they wanted to be a, an artist. And he would show them how to take that libido inside of them and produce it as, you know, a great table. And that would be become his thing. And the guilds are all about personal relationships, very Jungian in that sense, very personal relationships. The guilds are all about the idea of, you know, your toolbox is yours and it's your special, specific toolbox, very right-brained in that attitude. Now, what happened with capitalism is we generalize work. We say to ourselves, all right well we'll give everybody the same toolbox and they'll be able to do the same god job and that's completely left-brained attitude you know mass production category simple perfect even though it's not perfect in reality and and spread it out there's no individuality to it there's no magic to it at all and so what what late stage capitalism that we live in does is that it creates it incentivizes voldemort it incentivizes snape to run around and say all right well look capitalism's good and we want everybody to be participating in the free market and that's the machine and so what we're going to do is that if you can't work if you can't play the game well that's a mental illness and so what we're going to do is we're going to try fix you we're going to try get you back on board with the game and the way we do that is through chemicals such as chemicals like benzos to get rid of the the the, the animating emotion some animating anxiety comes up in you god knows why and we're going to talk about that in a bit but let's just get rid of that because it's, it's in the way of the jargon, the goal, which is you to be a good cog, a good machine, a good participant in the machine. It's a very, very interesting idea. And of course, it's done in many different ways. Like you also get it in the psychotherapy side of things. You see cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's all about correcting the faulty thought patterns to move you back in line. And look, there's something to that stuff, but there's also, uh, there's also the possibility that we always have to be aware of, of... Snape and Voldemort slipping their way in and turning the, the cognitive behavioral therapists into jargonites that are just trying to make you normal and trying to kill off what is abnormal about you because they're they're afraid of Terence McKenna pretty much. <laughs> um, and so this is the sort of idea that even mental illnesses itself as a category, as a piece of jargon to label abnormal experiences is very modern and very new and very very interesting that we don't question it that we don't turn around and say what if Voldemort's behind this we don't we don't ever ask that question we just accept the jargon without question and of course that's not what real wizards do but I'm just a boy oh don't ignore me I, I told you already to turn this off I can't believe you're still here but basically that's something you have to keep in mind you know that's something you have to watch for now, this opens up, this is all very despairing stuff. I'm so sorry, people. But it opens up a very, very interesting idea. What is good? What would a good Hogwarts look like? How, what was Hogwarts like when it was firing on all cylinders? You know, what was it like when Dumbledore ruled it? So you can imagine maybe Voldemort as that negative experience 
and and he creates jargonites like Snape and they fill you full of potions to make you be quiet in class and go to work and just do the, the routine and don't ever talk out a turn and, and, and basically just be, be a little be a little uh, neutered little uh, dog in the corner. Whereas Dumbledore is a he's a progenitor. He's a he's a he's a warrior of the Phoenix God, of the Order of the Phoenix, of of God's animating energy. God at the very start he's he said, Right, Minecraft's Minecraft's shit because it's not moving and Voldemort was like no I love it when it's still because I can control it because I'm a little nervous weirdo I'm a left brain and so God basically being this big Chad right brain just like literally two right brains stuck together that's that's pretty much what God, the Ubermensch is <laughs> um, God creates this animating energy and then of course he needs like he's like Voldemort he lives in this other world this out outside world you know he's, he's, he's beyond the our reality beyond our comprehension he's this energy that drives the whole thing and so he needs he needs um, warriors that he can vessels for his his juice in reality, and so every now and again along comes godly people, people who have given their souls over to the, the 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 biggest juice in the world, the most powerful juice, the, the the creator of dreams, you know. And Dumbledore is an example of a person like that. And a JBP, God bless him, he he was a great adherent of Dumbledore. He really got it. You can see the way he talks. He had such a good grip in his right brain because he processes all these complex ideas in a very colourful and visual way because he knew what he was doing because he was in touch with this he is he is blessed with that divine spark and this is what you want out of people you don't want people who ideologically agree with you in some type of left brainism you don't want people with stupid ideologies either though but at the same time the, the fundamental thing is you you want that vibrant energy that living energy inside them and, and you can almost detect it in people because they talk with imagination as opposed to like robots as opposed to like marionettes as opposed to like jargonites like they've been possessed like they've been programmed by Snape they don't talk like snakes puppeteers in this big long weird sort of a human centipede of like uh, jargonites all the way up to Voldemort himself scared trying to turn everybody trying to bring everything back to what it was before God animated it basically death itself looming over reality and so this is so insane (laughs) holy shit so Dumbledore Dumbledore is has a different perspective on things. Dumbledore, first of all, doesn't want to doesn't want to like douse you in, in potions and, and make you normal. Dumbledore understands the majestic natural power of your magic and he understands that it's 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 almost like a birthing thing in order to make you brilliant to make you great he has to find he has to show you how to let that magic out of yourself how to how to release that magic and develop your individual perspective your individual self he he wants to bring it out of you he knows that the the art it's like the guild thing the art of crafting a person cannot be industrialized it is fundamentally gotta uh, the best of times be done in a personal level it's like a the old craftsman attitude and so his idea about hogwarts is getting the best professors the ones who get it and snape of course is very very talented this way he hires them and getting them all in a place where they can take in as many people as possible and teach them and redeem them and lift them up and show them what is magic about themselves and show them how to get in touch with this stuff and show them how to take that libido that tortures them that tries to pull them towards nutting all over the place and tries to put and makes them angry and all this and show them how to not deny those energies like what Snape gets you to do he, he says all of those are bad just being happy and amiable is what we want instead he, he gets you to grab all these energies and channel them upwards into the more dream part of yourself so you can produce something of, of majest of majesty and greatness very very noble vision very very profound and powerful vision Dumbledore is got a he's doing God's work you know so what does this mean then well look 
how is this relevant to your emotions, to your negative emotions, to your pain? Because it's all well and good me saying all these silly stories, but the reality is is that you sit there and you're in you're depressed, you're anxious and you're depressed and anxious for an extensive period of time. It's not much good some boy talking crap about Hogwarts, you know, you want you want to know what's wrong with you. And so Dumbledore actually has a solution. The way he addresses these problems is slightly different. For example, he understood he understands how much more heavily we should lean on the the more idea of digesting trauma because there's something very very interesting about magic in that the animating energies, one of the most animating energies is pain. Pain is the thing that damages you the most, hurts you the most, you know. And so when you get, when you experience pain, it's a very, very difficult thing for you to figure out. It, it can it can touch you. Trauma can touch you and do terrible things to you. And overcoming and understanding what's going on with that is, is, is actually a key skill for any magician to do. You can imagine that when Minecraft was frozen and still, there was no pain. And it was actually a very, very good place to live. Everything was glorious and, and beautiful. And Voldemort might have been there and thinking, this is great. But then God animated it. And God, of course, animated Minecraft and everybody started to move. But that's when people started to get hurt and feel pain. And no longer, things were no longer perfect. Things were sloppy, but they were moving forward. And things got, gradually grew and became more beautiful. But a lot of people got hurt along the way. And that's a very, very hard thing to digest and understand. Why, did, why is that happening? Why did people get hurt? And maybe Voldemort's sort of thinking to himself, I want to go back. I want to go back to a time when there was no pain. Voldemort might be sort of hurt in some level. I know as a, he's evil as fuck, and that's, that's no excuse for him, but maybe you need to understand why. You know, he's suffering, just like all the rest of us. And maybe, maybe secretly, weirdly in his mind, somewhere deep down that he's long forgotten, he is actually trying to take us back to a perfect place where there is no pain. He's trying to do something. But of course, Dumbledore understands that the way to end pain is not to freeze frame everything and create a perfect machine to recreate Minecraft again in a perfect sense where there is no pain. Dumbledore understands that what we've got to do is we've got to go back and we've got to go back to the procedures that work to actually show people how to manage trauma, to digest trauma, to make them understand that they are actually capable of digesting trauma. They actually have the power within them. Now, of course... You should not do your own research in this stuff. There's, there's a, it's, it's a very, very bad idea for plebs and muggles to look into this stuff because it suggests some things that might piss off the jargonites. So let's not do that. Again, turn the fucking video off. But what Dumbledore might look at is he might look at stuff like, you know, the fact that a quarter of us suffer mental illnesses at any one time. And uh, mostly anxiety and depression costs us a billion a year. We go with things like pills quite a lot. We use cognitive behavioral therapy with this idea that you control your thoughts and you smash out the bad patterns. But of course, there's sort of a loose amount of evidence to suggest that, all right, these things don't quite manifest the results that we presume. There's a, a lot of evidence to suggest that, for example, depression is not as genetic as some people say. Like, for example, some people have this idea that it's you're born with these problems and whatnot, and I am not here to deny this. I'm just a boyo. Do not come to me for any of this understanding. But there's evidence to suggest that these things are not as clear-cut as we thought. And one of the most stable discussions in this realm 
of of psychology and depression and mental health is the digestion of childhood trauma and also the ability to just simply manage pain as it is and deal with negative emotions now i don't want you to spiral off into thinking this is something because i get a lot of i hear a lot of weird people where it's like oh just you know focus on my childhood for extent like not like that like i want you to think more about the idea of trauma of getting punched and like a boxer figuring out how motivating yourself inspiring yourself to get back up and that's actually a very very important thing to do and and if you if someone takes a punch if they get punched they're like voldemort they're in this very very tentative place where they're like i want to go back to the perfect reality where i wasn't punched and where everything is perfect i want to be a different person altogether where I wasn't punched, like all those other people who had happy childhoods or never had any problems throughout their life. I want to kill myself. I don't, I don't like being the person I am because I am the one who, who God punished. I'm the one who, who God traumatized and fuck God. I can't believe he did that to me. I want things to be perfect. I want to go back to a time when things were not like that. And, and this is all about understanding the, 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 the ability to digest this trauma, ability to get punched and get back up. And it's just about mental toughness at its root. There's even, like, it's a scary thing, you know, early life stress appears to radically alter neurobiological systems and, and create depression. There's, there's a lot of connections between this stuff, a lot of connections between this stuff. And it does seem to boil down to trauma on some level, taking pain, getting hurt. And the story I'd like to tell from my own life is a time where I learned, when I codified all this stuff into myself, the time where I think I learned how to talk about these things without being a jargonite. And that was when I was, I had a good childhood, I didn't have any problems like that. But around about college time, I started to have a lot of trouble because I was screwing around with drugs I didn't understand. And on top of that, I had a lot of mental patterns built inside me, entitlement, for example, that needed to be crushed out of me. And what happens with reality is that if your mentality, if your ideology is off from reality and you take on reality, reality will crush your ideology and you'll feel pain. And that will t- cause you to get resentful. Now, your resentment will go in off a lot of different directions. You'll resent your parents like I did. You'll resent your society and you resent all these type of things like Jordan Peterson often talks about. Now, what started to happen to me is that I had this like low buzzing resentment. I wanted to be great, but I wasn't. And I blamed everybody else for that fact instead of myself. And that's that's whatever. That just sat in me for years because I never really dealt with it. And it just kind of ran me for years. But the, the moment when I had to face it was I remember I had an injury. I had a physical injury. And it it almost taught me. It taught me so much about pain. I was lifting weights and I was in a rush and I ended up... Uh, I ended up walking home and my leg went numb and it was really weird and it wasn't really painful it was just my leg went numb and so I remember waking up the next day and I pulled out my phone and I was like why the fuck does your leg go numb and I saw a video on Google such a bad idea I saw a video on Google and it was uh, pretty much like just a graphic basically like why does my leg go numb and there was this graphic of this spinal cord and then the graphic would squeeze the spi- the two digits of the spinal cord together and there was these little discs in your, the middle of your back between your spinal things your cushions and this I remember just watching it this started off blue and then it squeezed and then it went red and then it burst and all the jelly all the juice came out of it and I was freaking out man I was like oh my god what what the hell is that happening to me my back is burst all the juice is shooting out of my back oh my god what has happened to me this is terrible this is terrible oh my days oh my days and so 
I went from a position where I was like, all right, that's weird to like, oh, my God, my my spine is broken. And then suddenly the the weird feeling of just like a rubbery, numb leg turned into pain and terrified pain. And I was freaking out about it, absolutely freaking out about it. And so I stopped bending down. I stopped sitting down. I stopped doing loads of stuff. I got really stiff. I started to feel it all over the place. I, I couldn't sit down because I'd feel the pain. I got anxious. I'd, I'd get aggressive, aggress, aggressive and anxious all the time. I'd sit down and I'd feel the pain in my back and down my leg and in my in my left leg and all this. And I'd, I'd and the tingling in my feet and all this. And I'd say to myself, oh my God, oh my God, I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm sitting down. I'm hurting it more. I'm getting more traumatized. And I'd sit there. And, you know, it was like a early 20s and I'd sit there and I'd say to myself, oh, why me? Why have I been punished this way? It's my dad's fault for not training me to be stronger. So this didn't happen. It's his fault. It's 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 my my society's fault for not coaching me properly, for not, not shaping me properly. It's their fault as well. It's, it's the world's fault for, for making this world about pain. I remember all these thoughts creeped into me because I was in pain all the time. They all creeped into me and they all spoke to me. And I felt this stuff so deeply. And I was depressed and I was like, I was at the absolute bottom, absolute bottom. And I was traumatized by it. And this was on top of me fucking around with psychedelics as well. So my, my head was a mess as well. And at one point, it just went on for about a year. And at one point, I remember I lost my job, uh, lost my girl. All this stuff happened. So I like, because, you know, you, you turn into a loser when you, when this happens. So you, you become like super sensitive. You kind of cock. So you lose everything eventually. And um, I lost my house. Uh, some some guys from America, thank you very much, lads. They bought my house. They bought the mortgage of my house from 2008 and then they sold my house and then they kicked me out. And so I'm there like absolutely at the rock bottom. No house, no income, no girl, pain, chronic pain 24-7. And that was the point where I, I, I gave up. I deflated fully. I just kind of remember lying down. I remember I managed to get some crappy house together with a lot of students, you know, when I'm like out of college at this point. So it's it's kind of it's kind of like, oh, no, how am I back here? And I'm lying down, still feeling the pain, and I just give up. I just sort of say, I don't know what I'm doing, man. I don't know what I'm doing. I This is, this is not right. This is not working. I don't know what's happening. I don't understand what's going on. I... I'm 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 losing. This is this is whatever I'm doing right now is is not working. And that confession it was also around about the time that I was listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson. That confession was the start of my overcoming. And it was like a permanent overcoming because at that point I sat with the pain and I said to myself I can't. It's not I I'm not designed, like I'm not supposed to just be here in ever, never ending pain. I'm like, this is not, this is not, my, my, my mind and my body and my brain is not designed to torture me with pain. This pain is not Satan or a demon possessing me, trying to hurt me. It's trying to help me. It's trying to tell me there's something wrong. And it may not seem like much, but my fucking God, that simple idea changed my life. The idea that negative feelings, negative emotions, negative animating energy, negative magic is actually trying to help you. My pain is trying to say to me, there's something wrong. There's something wrong down here. Now, what's the solution to this? It's like, it's trying to tell you, you need, the reason why there's pain is because there's fear. The reason why my body was in pain is because my muscles and my nervous system, my body was afraid because it felt it was weak. It felt weak, therefore it was afraid, therefore it made me feel pain. I started looking into the neuroscience of pain and discovered that pain is practically 
like not connected to actual damage. It's like the thing where you, you see a kid get a, a slice across his hand and there's like loads of blood coming out. And he looks at it and it's like, whoa, cool. And he rocks up to his mum and his mum goes, oh my God, are you okay? Oh my God, you're going to, oh, you're, you're bleeding. Oh my God, call the hospital. And then suddenly the kid will start to panic because he'll be like, what the fuck does this mean? I thought it was just like cool color. Whoa, blood. Now he's like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. And he starts to panic and he starts to hurt. Then he starts to cry. He's learned from his mum what it means. And there's there's some there's something very special and important there is that like the pain does is not properly correlated to actual wounds. Actual damage is not connected to pain. And so I started to see that. It's that my brain and my body, my, my mind, the pain is trying to tell me there's something you feel weak here. You need to build up strength. Now there was damage there, but it's like not not like a, a condemnation the pain is not permanent usually your body will heal that stuff up and, and the pain will eventually go away so i had to build up strength i had to figure out a way to build up strength and that's really what turned everything around is that the reason why i'm in, I'm in pain the reason why i'm feeling these negative emotions is because my soul my body my, my mana my magic my my nervous system doesn't feel safe and my responsibility as as whatever being I am is to create safety for this nervous system, put in place the things that will that will save this. And this is the most important idea. Then is there was there had to be a, a decision, a spiritual decision in myself that I actually can do that, that I actually can fight and put together a stable body. A I, I can actually grow. I can actually transform. I can actually change. And that was the beginning of me coming out of this. This is when I started to look up and be like, all right, how can I fix this? What can I do about this? I found exercises to trim my glutes. Turns out that I didn't have a bust spine, but I had a little muscle inside my ass called the piriformis that tightens up when your gluteus maximus are weak. And when I strengthened the gluteus maximus, doing hip thrust, I was in pain for about a year and a half. A month, it was gone like that. Problem over from doing the right thing strengthening the right thing the biggest muscle in my body i strengthened them pain gone and this the, the victory was not necessarily getting rid of the pain but it was here man that's when i got tough that's when i got humble first do you see what happens first like it's a very jordan peterson like first i i get shoved into the belly of the beast i face the dragon of chaos i say to myself i'm not good enough it's actually i'm actually right about hating myself i am not good enough i don't know what i'm doing I need to humble my ass and take baby steps. All correct. Just before I was saying, I'm not good enough because God made Minecraft move and my dad is my proto-God and I hate everything and I hate society. Now it was more like, I don't know what's happening. It's my fault. But these, these, this, these, these spirits that are torturing me, my pain, my trauma, they are not my enemies. They're, they're trying to help me. They're trying to do something. To, to warn me they're, tr they're asking me for something and actually what they're asking me for this is so essential they're asking me to become something stronger more beautiful and more powerful they're asking me my negative emotions my frustration was asking me to become better my anxiety was asking me to become better my pain was asking me to become stronger all of them were, were pushing me towards something more glorious they were trying to turn me into Harry Potter but Harry Potter, Potter on steroids and then the last and final mindset shift that I needed to have 
to help me digest trauma, help me digest why is this happening to me, help me digest that initiation of moving into adulthood life and realizing that the world is big and bad and it will kill you if you're not careful. The final thing I needed to say is that I can do this. I can fix this problem. All my negative emotions want me to become Harry Potter, want me to become a, a more juicy Ubermensch. And either I can do it or I can't. And if I can't do it, I may as well just fucking kill myself now. If I'm going to give up, I may as well go. And then the simple idea is that, all right, take that, that negative emotion of suicide and think about it. It's like, all right, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to die trying. I'm going to die trying. I'm going to take the risks. I'm going to go for it. And that little mindset shift, I can take the risks and I, I can succeed as well. And then you run with that and you start to succeed. You get success from having this more spirited attitude and you, and you, you beat trauma. You expose trauma. You expose what this stuff is. You show yourself that you are not a prisoner to your past. You are not a prisoner to your pain. You are not a prisoner to anything. Death cannot even hold you back because you would willingly take it rather than be imprisoned. And this is the type of magic Jordan Peterson helped me develop and helped me learn and helped me go through. And that was my little hero's journey that I think everybody needs to experience themselves. And Dumbledore encourages this because he knows that if you can digest that trauma like that yourself, you become immune to Voldemort's weird thesis. Oh, I will get rid of suffering. And you're like, I don't think suffering's as bad as you say. Because suffering doesn't have this almighty power over me. Because I'm not a fucking loser. And so this all boils down to a most important and prescient question. Whose side are you on? What game are you playing? What are you doing in this world? You are, you have that magic in you. You know it's there. You know you've got that special fire inside of you. And there's all these forces in the world that are trying to cook you into a member, a, a cog in the machine, a unparticipant passive NPC, a chatterbox, a marionette for Voldemort's will. It's trying to bend your magical powers and get them to get shoved into a part of your mind that you cannot access, but they can access. They can access through the focus of your attention. And then you get into you get into this habit of, of coding, of helping them build their machine, and you get you get tricked into playing this silly game. And underneath it all is not some crazy underneath it all is just simply a spiritual fear of pain, a spiritual fear of 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 actual trauma with life and this desire to just freeze frame everything into something that you can control. It's this giant death cult that's rising up out of reality that has taken over Hogwarts and it seeps into everybody and it is your responsibility to redeem this dead father from the belly of the whale. You have to overcome this beast by understanding it empathetically and understanding Voldemort's weakness and understanding Voldemort's tyranny and then using the magic powers that you have, understanding how to reclaim them and you must understand that you are now a rebel. Hogwarts has been taken. Jordan Peterson has been saying Hogwarts has been taken. There's nothing we can do about it. We must fight back though. You must reclaim your mind. You must take yourself out of that cog and 
understand how to access the part of you that is magic and always will be the part of you that dreams without any effort on your part at all it gives you seven of those a night you don't have to do anything they are given to you it is god's animating logos channeling through you it is your libido and um, spiritualized reaching to its higher and de- highest endeavor and unfortunately with our tragic situation you complain about nihilism but believe me you the, the world your problem is not that there's no that there's nihilism your problem is that you live in such an intense story you can't even believe it and you're you're scared of taking action what's going on is hogwarts has been taken and you're part of the order of the phoenix you're an outsider and voldemort's there with his minions with his with his uh with his uh, crew of simps and they're all they're all injecting their juice they're all giving him their juice on the altar and being like yes Moloch swallow my juice yes Moloch yes give me the hedonism give me the give me the products to consume keep me in the lukewarm mediocrity boil this frog as slow as possible I love it I love it it's brilliant but you our guys our our outsiders the good magicians they're all saying to you they're reaching out to you and they're saying listen you have this you have this animating energy within you 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 will be the one who gets the anima you'll be the one who pulls the anima and completes the libidinous ritual of romance you'll be the one you won't be a simp you'll get to create you'll get to express your energy you'll get to release that part of your dreams you'll get to release the, the the final chakra and experience the unity with the astral plane and come to understand the lord as he created as he invigorated minecraft originally it's all you can all do it they're all pointing in the right direction and all you have to do is you have to understand that all those animating emotions all those things that Voldemort is trying to keep you away from uh, by telling you that they're evil and bad that that he's trying to chemically destroy you to turn you into a perpetual simp till the end of time all of that is the, the place you need to go that you can redeem yourself it is the magic juice that lives within you and this is of course all tied to the the great challenge that that we have we we uh we ha- we we ha- hogwartsianites we <laughs> we we magicians we we neo neo wizards whatever's going on here we sit outside hogwarts and hogwarts has become pathological there's a looming specter floating over it of voldemort's evil will to freeze minecraft forever what we need to do is we need to sit outside of it and and use this magical power to project energy to animate it again first we dig inside of ourselves we spend time with our negative emotions our our traumatic experiences we rebaptize them into something freeing and invigorating and life-giving and then what we do is what what happens is this gives us our imagination back we begin to think like a child again we begin to overcome that stuff again that the 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 monotony the grayscale nature the black and white nature of of this this machine that we participate in and we, we inject energy into it and in what we do what the machine is is just a dead husk running off a of faulty logic but the power that we have that's so incredible is that we can inject energy back into that machine we can easily conquer Voldemort it's only about conquering ourselves and then Voldemort has no power because Voldemort is fear and if we can conquer fear in ourselves if we can conquer trauma in ourselves we can overcome him with no problem we come and we find the powers inside of us we find the, the part of us that dreams and we create new dreams we create updating dreams we create dreams that expose how much of a silly billy voldemort is and then we 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 inject those dreams back into hogwarts and it will come to our will without effort at all and so we as the the people in the forefront we as the the sharp wits 
10 steps ahead of the Reddit tier midwits. We are the ones that need to do this job. We need to understand how this great effort of imagination needs to be waged. This great effort of finding the stories that properly expose Voldemort and his evil sinister plans. We are the ones that need to do this. We are the ones that when we conquer it in ourselves, we will be able to bring the juice out of us. It will be self-evident. You will see it as it is. And we need to sit outside and say, what type of stories? What are we trying to do here? What are we trying to bring? What message are we trying to bring? What truth are we trying to bring? And I think the best way that I can explain this to you is to give you a sort of radical philosophy on what emotions are. So there's a a very, very interesting scene in the Iliad. Going, Let's go all the way back. We talk about Hogwarts. Let's go all the way back to the founding texts of the West. What the West is at its bottom root. The thing that people always look back to. I'm not even talking about the Bible. I'm talking about earlier than that. I'm talking about the Iliad. I'm talking about ancient Greece. I'm talking about Achilles fighting Troy. That great ancient, ancient story. And Achilles is going through the same problem that you are. Achilles is a magical being full of fury, full of a very negative emotion. And he is trying to understand how to manage his fury. And so this is this seems to be our, our great challenge, is that we, we, we are all NPCs, we're all simped by the system. And we are all inanimate, and we have no emotions at all. We stay lukewarm and hedonistic and depressed and loaded up on chemicals. And we tell ourselves all these stories about mental illness. All these very, very new jargon concepts that Voldemort seems to use. But of course, back then, all those animating experiences were there present in the ancient Greeks. And they had perhaps a more natural connection to it. And so we do a great in, in dive into the past to understand how people manage these problems in the past. So in the past there was a clear understanding of why you had anger, why you were an angry person. Achilles understood why he felt anger because he was a warrior and anger and God animated him so that he can overcome, so he can become that great man and face fear and, and overcome other people and become a winner, become a, a warrior that conquers all other warriors. It's the very, very ancient archetype of the hero, you know, the person who beats the, the beast or beats the other player, the, the Conor McGregor of the past, the perpetual Conor McGregor, if you will. And so he is, Achilles is is feeling that flame and that flame, that energy, that Aries energy, that, that furious energy inside of him that makes him fight people, that makes him compete is the thing that made him great. It's the part where he, he, he could have been a lukewarm, boring boyo, but instead he feels this animating energy inside of him and he goes with it and he says, take me where you want to go and it wants him to fight for to get to, to get to the top to live forever to be glorious forever and so he does that but of course in this like that's a very very crude and that can obviously get you in an awful lot of trouble that's like saying every time you feel a desire to nut just nut because then you, your room would fill up with <laughs> something synonymous with coconut oil and you wouldn't be able to move you'd be trapped in this frozen state and so what happens is achilles and all these sophisticated understandings of emotions, they, they, you, you need, basically, you need to develop a sophisticated set of stories to understand these emotions. So you can imagine that Hogwarts' responsibility is to explain to you what magic is. And what Voldemort does is he takes Hogwarts, that big institution, that dream machine, and he, he uses that to, to basically take your mind and, and, and zap it so that there's no animation in it at all. And you're a willing cog in his plan and his weird evil plan to freeze mind craft 
Now, Hogwarts, when it's firing on all cylinders, would take you and show you all these magical powers that exist inside you. Fury, the, the, the fundamental animating energy of God. Fury, what it is, what it means. Envy, what it is, what it means. Sadness, what it is, what it means. Dreams, what they are, what they mean. And it would create these load of stories all around you. And this, this would give you the ability to fight against trauma. So when you get hit by trauma, by pain, by tragedy, you have this immune system. You've been vaccinated against the, the, the creeping fingers of Makina, of, of Voldemort. Shit, I, <laughs> I dropped the wrong thing in there, um, of Voldemort. And so what happens is you get vaccinated against this, this, this trauma and then you're able to overcome it. You're able to resist it. And you're vaccinated using narrative, using ideas, using uh, paintings, using dreams painted over your experience. Now, what's so important to understand is that the Greeks had a sophisticated and free healthcare system in this sense. Every one of their children was vaccinated in the exact same way. They had an, a spiritual immunity against Voldemort that made them capable of dealing with pain. Now, this all sounds kind of ridiculous and colorful, but it's not trivial. As we were showing earlier, a lot of mental illness problems come down to a misunderstanding of how to deal with trauma. And that's not trivial. That's, there's billions of dollars going into this. Hogwarts is burning a lot of cash on making this thing work. It's burning a lot of man hours on making this stuff work. And it doesn't seem like it is working. And they're burning, that's not even counting how much goes into drugs and pharmacology and whatnot and potions. And it's not that potions are bad. It's not that Snape is evil. It's just that if we turn Snape into the overlord and he's possessed by Makina and he says potions are the only thing that works along with being obedient, you have a bit of a problem there. And so what I want you to understand with Achilles is that he was in a position where he was dealing with an emotion and above him was a well-crafted dreamscape, a meta-landscape of dreams, the Greek mythology, that allowed him to process this emotion intelligently. The Christians had this too. Now, what happens with Achilles? Well, of course, what happens with Achilles is Agamemnon takes his girl, the king takes his girl, and so he gets mad and he wants to kill Agamemnon. But that's a bad choice because if he, if he fights Agamemnon, the, they're in the middle of a war, so you'll kill the commander, you'd probably lose the war, a lot of people would die. It's an unwise decision. Now, we always, you know, lather the pagans with slander and say stuff like, oh, they're all, you know, killing babies and, and impulsively just like, you know, being deviants and degenerates and not having any control. But of course, that's not true at all. These people were probably more sophisticated than the modern people are. And the reason why we say that is because these pagans, when you look, when you look at the scene with Achilles, Achilles has this impulse to go fight, but instead he's, he's stopped by something. What is he stopped by? Well, what happens when you get angry? Think about this, and this is where you and I can start to understand our job. When you get angry, you will feel this impulse, this fire rush up inside of you. And then this voice will come from the back of your head, your conscience, and say, don't do it. It's not worth it. You know, the police officer comes up and says, yeah, um, I put a ticket on your car and 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 you have to pay five thousand euro. And you're like, punch this guy right now. But a voice comes in your head and says, don't do that. That'd be unwise. That'd be unwise. The conscience tries to hold you back. Now, when you think about what happens there, you think about it in a jargonized flat um, Voldemort style. You, you don't think there's anything special about that. You don't think there's anything abnormal about that think about really think about that you know there's a voice coming into your head telling you what to do and there's a fire erupting inside of you moving you to do something 
and you are this little creepy weirdo in the middle this little kind of lukewarm dude in the middle being like I don't know what to do I don't know what to do I don't know what to do and and Voldemort says uh, don't don't think about that too much there's nothing weird there at all but that's like I don't know that's as close to sounding what I understood schizophrenia to be the voice in your head as as anything you know there's something there's something going on there's an animating fire going in and then there's a a, 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 a voice speaking to you telling you not to do stuff what the hell man that's that's insane literally it is but of course us moderns it is of course insane because we have a flat Descartes understanding of the mind is dead and empty a, a dry desert with none of this stuff goes on a computer with all these weird things there's no explanation Jung and Freud come along and, and paint their jargon over it and people get absolutely intoxicated because that's actually what happens in your head there's a, a super ego and there's a libido there's an id underneath it and then you the ego is stuck in between those that actually is narrative of what goes on inside our head that's not it that's a good take you know but that makes us ask the question it's like oh my god we want something like that we want an interface we want a myth we want a story that explains to us what the fuck is going on inside our head and then the problem is that well we go look at christianity they had a perfectly coherent way of de describing this christ or an angel on your shoulder is the voice of conscience and reason then you have the impulses which is the devil on the other shoulder satan telling you to surrender punch the, the the policeman of course you shouldn't do that christ is wise and thinking long term don't be a fucking idiot is what he's basically saying and you are the little little loser who who's always getting pulled by these two things and that's what it feels like inside your head it's the same as super ego id and ego same pattern achilles goes through the exact same pattern as well Achilles is Aryan energy, Aries energy, he's like fire, he wants to murder, he wants to take life. But of course, he is grabbed by his blonde locks by Athena, the goddess of war, but the strategic war. She is the conscience, she is that voice in his head that reaches out and grabs you and says, hold on, don't do it, don't give in, pause, be careful. She says to him, think long term. She says, think of the big game here. You know, think of the big win. This fool, this arrogant fool, Agamemnon, yeah, he's going to insult you now, but you'll, you'll, you've, you've got bigger games to play. Let this go. There'll be riches in the future for you if you play the long game. St strategic woman. And so this is what the Athenians believed in. They didn't see themselves. They, they kind of looked down on Ares, impulsive anger. They looked down on that. And they saw themselves as strategic thinkers. The, the their Hogwarts this is this is the the great goddess above it you know they thought the thing that made them so valuable and powerful was this energy being able to be strategic being able to think things through being able to pause and play the right move instead of the impulsive move not to bend the knee and be, be weak but instead to be smart be savvy and this is what Athena was favored for massively now what's happening here is that you have the Greeks in a like a level of incomprehensible beauty narrating painting a dream over your psychological experience now the fundamental tyranny of Voldemort is that he says that you don't have a magical experience you don't have animating energies you're a flat dead empty being with just this rational bubble which is your your head and that's where everything happens and everything outside of you is just bullcrap and that voice coming at you it's not real and that, that energy coming up to you is just chemicals and all you need is chemicals to get rid of it now our challenge as 
newly animated as rebaptized Order of the Phoenix Wizards is that we need to repaint that story for people. Like we can dig into our imagination, come to understand our energies, what's happening to us, paint pictures over that. And then over time, among us all, there'll, there'll be these these generalized stories that actually start to like kind of marry to each other and make sense. This is the same way the Greek myths came about. And this is what we can start to point to people. We can start to show people with, with narratives, with dreams, what their minds are like, what's happening with themselves. And it will make sense to them because it will be true. They will resonate with it. It won't be some type of thing where we force them to believe an old dead ideology. We tell them, oh, you must go back to the 14th century or you must go back to pre-Greco-Roman uh, paganism. It's none of that stuff. It's about understanding the functions of these things at their roots and learning to repaint this stuff over. It's the same with the young stuff. It's like, look, you can't, that's a cult. You know, you can't, you can't make people brainwash and relabel all the words all, all the concepts is like stuff that Jung used. Jung was pointing in this direction, but you, to do Jung right, must become an individual and rebaptize this stuff and see what you can pull out of yourself and see what type of um, creation it shapes. And like something like J.K. Rowling is starting to go down that direction. You get what I mean? You see how easy it is to make something beautiful and majestic with it. And this is all about understanding that, that, that the, these people of the deep past, they were animated people. They were psychologically healthy people because they had a context to interpret how psychological experience actually happens. We moderns, the reason why there's so much depression and all this is because we don't have that. Because we have dismissed that as superstitio in favor of the potions. And that's not working. And it's so, so tyrannized that it's, it's practically illegal to say it's not working. You will get in awful trouble. Yet the expose is in the statistics. The, the, the love of the statistics is exposing them as not being correct at root. And in some sense, so much of your, your pain and your suffering is to deal with trauma. And then another side of that is to, have, to believe what's the point? What's the point in overcoming trauma? Why should I try overcome trauma and struggle on? And think about it this way, is that if you tap into that part of yourself, the animated part of yourself where the trauma is, and you master it like a, a wizard and take that magic out and project it into the world, like I'm describing, you will create something that will invigorate people, animate people, create beauty, make people more capable at overcoming trauma and create something that is like kingdom of heaven on earth. Everything Makina promises, I keep, I keep saying my, my private myth in public, everything Voldemort promises about freezing Minecraft so there is no pain and so it's a kingdom of heaven for everyone, a utopia. You could actually pull that off. But you can't want to, you have to want to do the process. See, this is the thing. This is the problem with the left brain is that it wants, it, everything is perfect. Everything is binary. Everything is black and white. It thinks it can skip to the end. It thinks it's as simple as just, you know, coming up with an abstraction, like a utopia and making it happen. Whereas the right brainers, Dumbledore, Jordan Peterson, Jung, Nietzsche, these guys all understand it's about procedures. They want to get you out there with all the animus and they want you like, they want you to have like 50 animus. They want you to like get really good with animus so that you can like, pull the anima out whenever you want that type of vibe so it's all about getting procedural uh, like what am i talking about this this challenge has happened all throughout history it is it is something you can see everywhere 
You know, these, th this is the, this is where the hammer falls. This is the study that we must do. This is the challenge that is happening. This is the big meaning crisis that people are banging on about that they don't really understand. This is the God is dead thing. You know, it's not that God died. God is perfectly fine. He doesn't need you at all. Don't worry about him. The problem is, is that Voldemort came in and severed your ability to connect with God. What does that mean? He severed your ability to understand what the hell your animating energies are, your emotions are. And so your emotions become demons that you castrate yourself from with chemicals. But of course, people of the past took the, take a simple energy like anger. They have a, a whole narrative worldview for, for you to interpret that, a free healthcare system, a free redemptive energetic power. And we need to find that again. We might even need to create it. And it's not some type of like, you know, oh, sit down and like, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's actually about discovering in a sort of dreamlike sense. Take, for example, this idea of Ares, the, the warlord. You know, that, that fury was painted over for a, a Roman and a Greek with this idea of the aggressive rage that a warrior felt is essentially the testosterone of life. This drove them into a trance, what, what an animal feels when they run out and they go and, and murder something without thinking. The Roman army saw this as their guiding energy, probably like metal, as I say. Now, think about post-traumatic stress disorder. This is a very, very out there theory, but think about it. You talk to a soldier who goes out and he murders people in the Middle East or something like that, and he says that... He, he gets traumatized by taking life. It's very, very traumatic. And then he notices that um, when it happens, there's almost always this, sort of, like a lot of people talk about an outer body experience because your adrenaline pumps up so high that something takes over. Your, your instincts take over. Your animating powers take over. Aries or Mars takes over. And then after you go into this trance, this frenzy, you, you, you kill a load of like people and then you kind of come back to the US or Canada or something like that and you sit down and you say to yourself, what did I just do? Why did I go out and kill a load of brown people? For what reason? And you start reading about like oils and all this and you're like, my God, is that the whole rigmarole just about killing people for oil? And then you start to feel depressed and you feel like you, you murdered for no reason and you don't understand what happened and you don't have any context to process it. And so you get traumatized and this can become extremely serious. It can, it can happen in the sense that you're shelled as well and you get so afraid that it burns into your body. And it makes you wonder, it's like, well, why did people of the past so seriously take these, these gods, these big figures like Mars or Ares or Odin or Kukulin or St. Michael, as we'll talk about in a second? It's because they needed them. Because the, life is a very, very complex thing and the trauma of life is very, very difficult to figure out and understand. And a warrior... Who, who takes life he needs he needs a very sophisticated intellectual architecture to tell him what happened achilles was often haunted by the figures and the faces of all the people he killed standing across the river Styx, the river death looking at him and so this this martian energy this aryan energy is the understanding of of what happens in those moments you give yourself over to mars and and you're letting him do the killing it's not actually you it's you giving yourself over to an animating energy. It's a scary thought, a very, very scary thought. But this is how they would process this. The same exact pattern happens with Odin, with the Germans. He puts them into a trance called going berserk or berserk gang. This is where we get the phrase go berserk. And that trance is that exact thing, the killing frenzy. 
the, the savagery, the thing where you're so afraid and you're so hyped that you just give yourself over and you just let yourself go. You hear Conor McGregor talk about this. He steps into the octagon and he he says it's like an outer body experience. He's like watching himself fight because he's trained for, for thousands of hours and now he's letting it out. He's letting the beast out. There's no more restrictions. It's like that surrendering to something else, to something animating in you. You go crazy. It's It's madness. It's Dionysian. And this is actually true the form of what emotions are like. You think about the, this is war, think about sex, think about love, the opposite, if you will, or the, the antagonist, perhaps. And that is a Dionysian experience too. You surrender to something and your instincts kick in, you know? And this pattern appears in Irish myth, Cucullin, Irish hero, same problem, same, same, same happenstance. When he wants to fight, he sort of turns into the Hulk. He, he, he goes riskad, it's like a superpower. And he goes into this trance. It's like this fury, basically. And um, he, he goes berserk, just like the same thing. And he kills loads of people. He just like slaughters everyone. It's it's the same idea as like he sees red. Zoom. He sees red. And then the Christians always had their problem of what do they do about the Holy Spirit? What do they do? What do they do, sorry, about war? About killing? It's, it's not, it doesn't seem like a very Christ-like thing to do. But of course... Society is not going to function without a strong army that is willing to kill people. Sadly, violence runs the world. And so Catholicism, in its digestion of what Christ meant, eventually started to produce something pretty much that a lot of Protestants think is pagan. Basically, the idea of St. Michael or the Holy Spirit, like a, a sort of blend of these type of ideas. And so this is the idea that like when you're fighting for the Lord, when you're doing, when you're in righteous battle, it is okay to surrender yourself to the, the testosterone energy of St. Michael or the Holy Spirit and, and slaughter evil. And so if you believe the other team, the other army is evil, you're, you're going to take life in, in, in their name. Now, in order to illustrate all this, and remember, what I'm trying to describe here is that our job, in some sense, is to become the painters of these perspectives for people. People are trapped. They've been brainwashed by Voldemort. They're, they're having their life force sucked out of them by these giant creepy dream machines that, that Voldemort's got so obsessed with, 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 um, with, with, with creating. But we, we need to be the people who paint these pictures for them. We need, we need to be the guys who get these stories into their minds so they can see what's happening to them, you know? They can see how they, the, these animating emotions are not some type of weird esoteric jargon that they must push out of themselves. All these silly, silly, complex, empty, dead names. Like, think about the difference between um, schizoassociative uh, bipolar disorder and Aries. Think about which is more vibrant and alive. Think about which is more living and, and screaming of life and true than compared to two of them. One of them is like this jargon you slap with a prognosis, diagnosis. It's just a weird thing that just doesn't doesn't really help you in much sense. Although you know you're going to get some drugs because you've been told that this that this is what's going on. Whereas here you have this Aries energy that's explaining to you that the the animating force that drives the universe is manifesting you as this monstrous force that wants to fight people, and that's not a straightforward thing. You need to have Athena there to balance you, but you can't get rid of Aries. It's going to live in you. And this is just the human tragedy. That's so much more sophisticated. Same idea for an artist who's trying to dig into their imagination. 
And of course, they might say they have writer's block. Like, think about writer's block. What is that? There's a plug in your head. Is the door to Narnia just like, I don't know, concreted up or something like that? Versus the idea of there is a muse trapped behind that door and that's why the door is vibrating and she's trying to reach out to you and get you to make beautiful things, to worship her. What does that mean? Craft things as beautiful as her. You get what I mean? And so this, this what Nietzsche would call the spiritualization of sensuality, this grabbing of these emotions, this digging into these animating energies and lifting them up into the colorful imagination so that we can actually interact with them and look at them. This is about one key feeling, and that's amor fati, accepting them, believing in them, understanding that they're part of you, embracing them. This is love. This is loving life. This is loving what you are. Like what I was describing that happened to me, I learned to to, to to embrace my pain and say, you're trying to help me. Thank you. The gratitude to say, you're trying to help me. That's a very, very special thing. And this is the, the unbelievable triumph over Hogwarts. Now, Nietzsche says Christianity here. I don't want you to get too ideological about this and think that he's attacking Christianity. More than anything to him, Christianity appeared an awful lot like Hogwarts. Keep that in mind. Christianity was the institution's. And it looked an awful lot like Voldemort in his day. You know, sort of looks like that now. But it wasn't always like that. The Renaissance was a vibrant, healthy Christian community. And so his deal is pointing out Hogwarts. He's fundamentally saying, don't let deathly ideologies get in here. Don't let Voldemort get an upper hand. At least I'm interpreting that way. All right? And he, he wants you to love these parts of yourself and embrace them. And a key part of this is understanding the triumph of spiritualizing our hostility. Basically the whole thesis, our negative emotions, our aggression, our anger. Think about what Voldemort wants you to do. He wants you to believe that these the frustration you have against the machine where you're just a wage slave, he wants you to believe that that's a pathology. He wants you to despiritualize it and say there's nothing there, it's bad, bad chemicals, take good chemicals. But instead, Nietzsche wants you to, to lift that up to the level of a god this superordinate force that we should all study that actually will help you understand trauma and that's such a beautiful and well well spotted idea it consists in the very fact that we are beginning to realize very profoundly the value of having enemies so again Nietzsche's going towards this idea that these animating emotions envy frustration hate aggression, all these type of things. They're not the things that we should let lead us, just like we don't let Aries lead us, but these are emotions that we should spiritualize and bring to our forefront. And sadly, people won't be able to do this until we, the wizards, achieve this. This is our great quest. A man is productive only insofar as he's rich in contrasted instincts. He can remain young only on the condition that his soul does not begin to take things easy and yearn for peace. Nothing has grown more alien to us than that old desire, the peace of the soul, which is the aim of Christianity. Nothing could make us less envious than the moral cow and the plump happiness of a clean conscience. The man who has renounced war has renounced the grand life. Think of what Voldemort wants. He wants the peace of the soul. He wants no more trauma, no more pain. Think about the difference between the animated person, the person with Aries screaming at him and Athena grabbing his hair and pulling him all around. He's the guy that we look at in 4,000 years with reverence because he's the person who has great tension in him like a bowstring that you can shoot towards the sky. 
We need to show people that being animated, being full of emotion, being full of passion is not bad. It is something you must master. It is magic. It is wizardry that you must master. And this is what has been taken away from us. And as I've said before, you, you don't remember your jargon. Your life is not your jargon. You don't remember those abstractions. You don't remember those countless hours you spent in that office job or in that school. You don't remember that stuff because that's not real. It's just routine. It's just the left brain going through the motions. It's just the machine crunching its numbers as you get simped by Voldemort. What you do remember is you remember that time that you punched that guy. You remember that time that that guy punched you. You remember that time you first set eyes on her. You remember that time that he first came up and talked to you. Because those are moments where you got furiously burst with animating emotions. A moment where if you freeze-framed it and, and painted it like a poet, you would see that this fire erupted in you like a god and this voice came in the back of your head like a goddess. You would see that that's actually what happened. And that's why you remember it so profoundly. And so we have to be serious about this. We are looking at a global scale where Hogwarts is going to instantiate a, a, a tyranny of inanimation. And that will be a death cult that will swallow up all that labor of, of ages, of, 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 uh, of Christianity, of pre-Christian society. All those labors of classical society is built on top of it. It will all just collapse into nothing and, and, and lead us all zapped and, and dribbling and the last men, as Nietzsche said. And so, in many cases, Nietzsche says, of course, peace of the soul is merely a misunderstanding. It is something very different, which has failed to find a more honest name for itself. Laziness. Coaxed by vanity into togging itself out in a moral garb. Who knows, maybe the twilight of the idols is only a sort of peace of the soul. Brilliant take. Because you probably think Nietzsche is the guy who announced the death of God. And Jordan Peterson probably convinced you that that's a very, very terrible thing. That God is dead and we're fucked. But of course, that's not actually what Nietzsche is saying. Nietzsche is saying that Voldemort came in and believed uh, all of us uh, kind of together. We Inside of us, Voldemort lives in us all, you know. We have a choice when we face the trauma of life where we can say, I want to be comfortable and I want to be mediocre and I want to be lukewarm. And that's literally us giving over to, to Voldemort. And when millions of us all become Voldemort in our hearts, Voldemort grows in power and he takes over Hogwarts. And then what happens is we can't ever be honest with ourselves and say we're, we're scared. So what we say is that I'm good. I don't want to be animated. I want to be frustrated. I want to be happy. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't want to feel those emotions. And I don't tell myself that's because I'm afraid. I'm telling myself because those are bad. And I'm a happy guy. I'm an amiable, tolerant, apathetic guy. I'm, a, I'm an open guy who lets in all this type of stuff. Instead of, I don't have any energy I push out. I'm a peaceful, mediocre, timid person. And of course, that's an expose of someone who's afraid to get involved with the animation. Afraid to accept the demands that anger has of you. Anger saying it wants high standards. You don't want to believe that. You don't want to, you want to say that, 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 that that's what you want because then you'd have to follow it up. And so the death of God, this twilight of the idols, this fall of the story, the fall of the story that we're talking about. So the Greeks had their story. The Christians had their story. We don't have our story. Our story is Voldemort. That fall of that story is simply just our little collective laziness, our little collective breather where we get to believe that th those animating energies don't exist and we can just all passively become cogs in the machine. We can all become cattle 
We can all become pigs. We can all become hedonistic consumers. And as long as we feel good, as long as the good chemicals are running through our, our bodies, everything's okay. We don't need to put in any effort. And this is our collective malice. This is our collective shame. This is what we should be ashamed about. And so in conclusion, allow me to express gratitude for old JBP. I know it has become fashionable to criticize him, to put him down after he had his drug problem. But nonetheless, it is not a, it is not a dismissal of some of his most brilliant ideas, though he was not the all-father savior that many of the JBP NPCs believed he was. He was most certainly on point, and he is the type of giant that you can build a stable enough pillar upon to take a step forward. He might not be the entire castle, but all you need to is, is a couple of strong pillars that you understand and can dance with, and you can go very, very far in becoming yourself. Now, this is quite important to understand and, and, and digest and give him his credence, give him the credit where credit is due. Have that nobility in you where you can actually just admit that someone did a good job and understand that the some of his key ideas have the biggest consequence for your destiny in the context of this picture I'm trying to paint. Like, what do you do? Where do you sit right now? Well, of course, Jordan always used to say that society itself is like the great father. And the tragedy of many eras is that the great father becomes stale. Because like all bodies, all bodies vivified, full of life, they entropy the creepy little weirdo. He tries to sneak in and ruin your day and ruin life's day. And so he tries to sneak in and and kill it and so all bodies eventually get possessed by entropy and fall over and die and stop breathing and stop being animated and of course what's happening in our culture right now feels like something entropic is going on it feels like Voldemort is seeping in through every nook and cranny and we don't know what to do about it and of course you may feel despair and you see someone like Jordan Peterson falter and fall and think oh my god he's not going to save us but don't you understand that the father is dead the staleness has happened the body is a husk we are these little mitochondria walking around in the cell membranes of something that is dying and you're looking outside to try find something that will save you you're looking for some type of body some type of messiah some type of hero to try save you but of course you were always the point in question you are the logos you are our life life that moves through this thing it's you you're the animating power you're the young boyo you're the juicy crazy young dreamer that needs to walk into this thing and bring your life to it and it will be a war Voldemort does not like losing power he loves power because he's terrified of of God's plan to make the world move and work and whatnot. He wants it to freeze. He wants control. He wants everything in his hands that he understands. But you, you are the animating energy that redeems that. It's you. It's all about you. And you just have to go into yourself and find the part of yourself that lives. Just like Jordan dived into himself and found the part of himself that lives and put aside so many of his, his faulty thinking that you eventually see in someone who is so 
tragically touched by trauma throughout his whole life. You see, you know, you know from listening to him that he overcame so much. You know, you know, you listen to him and Sam Harris talk and you just know that Jordan Peterson has, has been with the dark side so much more and he's overcome so much more. You see life live in him. He had achieved a lot personally. He just wasn't going to do everything for you. He wasn't your dad. He wasn't, he wasn't supposed to fix you. You're supposed to redeem yourself and by finding what is redemptive in you finding life inside you finding what is magic so it is all there in the lap of your hand entropy owns this universe life always feels that it's in trouble it always feels that it's like clinging on to a rock it always feels that it's pushed out of the game and entropy seems all dominating because think about what this universe is like entropy is everywhere all the time always coming after you slowly creeping after you like a clock and life that can be so demoralizing for life it can be so demoralizing when something grand and beautiful falls and gets destroyed when something profound that we all rest our hopes upon tumbles and stumbles and falls but of course life has gone from clinging to rocks when asteroids hit to evolving into lions life can overcome a lot and you are life and the part of you that is most special is alive and it's yours to to build a relationship with and no one can take that from you and that's the salvation that you're looking for and so <laughs> so with all that being boy oh boy oh motivational videos over here so with all that being said if you would like to work with me to find the magic within you can come and join my Hogwarts if you want you can come and join my Hogwarts and where we're, we're taking people and we're getting them to get back in touch with the, the transformative powers inside their belly inside their heart inside their psyche so that they can they can overcome so many of these problems two, two of the great big problems two of the two styles of people that you're noticing is people who are disconnected from their animating powers and so they're they're stuck in anxiety they feel impotent they feel like the world is crushing them they feel like they can't control this voice in their head that criticizes them all the time and says they're a, a piece of crap they feel that they need to take some type of outside side help chemical to fix them and of course i always want to move these people towards understanding why this fear why this animating energy is coming to them and understanding how to turn that and flip that into courage and assertiveness and an attacking energy that they can actually go and express themselves produce their their, their will onto life that is a huge deal i'm finding with people that is a very very big shift in consciousness the idea that you can actually work with this stuff use it to your advantage and and use it as fuel to make you take on the world that is a great change in anxiety to build that to build that mental toughness that we always talk about so if you want to work with me in that regard pop down the link in the description we can set up a call now if you want to work to me as a artist I know a lot of boyos who reach out to me who have problems with writer's block they have problems getting in touch with the 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 animating energy they have that typical problem where they've they're they're trying to make something they're trying to put together some type of genius plan they've got all these the stacks of like sketches or something like that and they've got this big complex thesis and philosophical idea that they're trying to tell all these people they've got this business plan or something or they've got all these like uh, these these sketches of songs written but they just can't get it done and no one seems to care and no one seems to and it's so hard and they hate themselves and they feel so stressed and they feel impotent and weak and of course that all comes down to them trying to do it their little arrogant left brain their little Voldemort inside their head their little jargonite trying to shape something when what you're really need to do is understand that there's
there's something else in you. The place where dreams come from. Literally think about it. The place where dreams come from that produces creative ideas for you every single night. And you just need to learn when you're trying to be an artist to listen to that, to let that talk. This is exactly how Jung said you should do it. To let that other part of yourself be the leader and you're merely like a, a, a crafter, an emissary to this true energy. So if you want to work on stuff like that with me, you can most certainly pop down in the link in the description. We can have a chat about that stuff as well. If you've just got a general problem where you want to understand your emotions, again, same place, link in the description, you can pop over to the Hogwarts. If you are not interested in that if you want to simply donate or support me or you want to hear my premium private podcast my my secret lectures inside the halls of hogwarts you can pop over to uberboyer.com and you can get a membership if you wish this is basically how i run my patreon from now on so pop over there get a membership you'll get a premium podcast i'm doing a series on nietzsche right now and um i'll be i'll be I'll, I'll, we'll see what we can do over there we'll see if we can build something quite magical and strange so most certainly pop over there and check that out and at that at that final cadence i'm going to end everything with a song thank you very much boyos and boyettes i hope you are well and stay okay say my baby don't baby don't break before you know for you know why you're wearing that crown of thorns i've come to say 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 my baby don't baby don't Break before you know, for you know Why you wearing that crown of thorns Will they say that the world lost honor? Will they say that they want some drama? Well, I see right round the corner, there's a god above Gomorrah. Is he calling out a warning? So we know that his wrath is coming. I believe that the facts are stunning. Call me backwards, son, and I give no fuck. I've gone back to the book. I see that there's no one left to trust. And we know that the West will self-destruct if we don't kill this disease. Man, these bitches roar and scream like a fucking horrid heat. Who said knowledge make you free to give you trauma and you bleed? Who put the words in that book? Who made them drugs that we all took? Fuck man, I really just can't look It feels like I have woken up for the first time in my life And the stars are falling from the sky And my mind is broken open wide And on the horizon I see Christ I already died, wandered around my whole damn life Standing in line with the lost and blind I believe that we crossed the line I believe that we're past the time Suddenly our thoughts are crime And I see with open eyes Freedom, it has a price Say my baby don't, baby don't Break before you know, for you know Why are you wearing that crown of thorns? I've come to say Say my baby don't, baby don't Break before you know, for you know Why are you wearing that crown of thorns? I've come to say days with the boys on porn that's why they be all withdrawn maybe we deserve your scorn that's a generation gone bow down to a demon lord the machine is just a whore that we feed the dead unborn in my head i see the doorway slowly close each moment this monster grows each new thing it fucking owns and the zombies it controls save the day i woke though the dead day can't be rose there is fire in your soul feel the power through you flow it is there for all who know never fear the job don't know that your body's more than bone and your word is more than gold and your heart is not a stone cause they say that we're moving forward but when the demons raped your daughter then the police said it's your problem is there
that no one left who's honest? Who said truth is made of hate? Who said romance is just rape? Who said God made you a slave? So you must obey the state And that evil it is fake And that life is a mistake And that you're the one that hates Since that you refuse to break Say my baby don't, baby don't Break before you know, for you know Why are you wearing that crown of thorns? Baby, don't, don't